Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody doing well? I tell you what, it's, uh, it's really cool being in Wichita, and uh, this is my first time, like, stopping in Kansas. You know what I'm saying? Like, outside of, like, stopping for gas, you know, because we make that trip from, like, Denver to Kentucky, and so we roll right through Kansas. And so, uh, uh, but, uh, but it's cool to be in Kansas. Uh, it's cool to be in Wichita. We've had such a great time getting to know people. We uh, spent a, a good ch- a chunk of the, yesterday getting to know many of you, and so that's been really, really cool uh, uh, time. So my name is Sonny, uh, Sonny Ryan, my beautiful wife, Kim, the really gorgeous redhead right there. And uh, my daughter, Ashlyn, who's 19, who's a freshman in college at Metro State in Denver, is with me as well. So I'm excited uh, to have them with me this morning. Uh, my son, I do have a 17-year-old son who's back in Denver and enjoying like some last weekends before we transition with his high school buddies, uh, having some great time with his best friends. But uh, it is an honor to be with you guys, an honor to be able to speak with you guys this morning. Uh, Kim and I uh, have been a Christians for over 25 years, been in the ministry over 25 years, and God has done a lot in that 25 years. I actually became a, a, a Christian at the age of 19. Uh, while serving in the United States Navy in Boston, Massachusetts. And so God had an incredible plan in determining the times and places. And then a couple of years later, I would have me move back to my hometown of Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, he moved me back there just because my wife had just become a Christian in Louisville. And he just knew that I was going to need the most beautiful, humble, spiritual woman on earth to keep me faithful to the very end. Yeah, we have, me and my wife, we have an agreement, and the agreement is that she is going to get me to heaven, and I'm going to help her have fun on the way. That's, that's the agreement that we have, and so it's working out so good, so far so good, 20, 23 years of marriage, and it's still working. Um, but uh, we, we uh, met in Louisville, fell in love, working together in the full-time ministry in Louisville, then we're sent out to plant the church in Lexington, Kentucky. We led that church in Lexington, Kentucky for seven years, then moved to Cleveland, Ohio, and led that church for nine years. And then in the last seven years, we've been in Denver serving in various roles. We currently lead a region of about 200 disciples in the east region of the Denver church. And so it's been an incredible adventure, but that's how it is when we're followers of Jesus, right? It's an adventure. We, we, we all have an idea of what we think our life is going to be like, and then we decide to follow Jesus, and we realize how wrong that we are, like like. Funny it must have been when we prayed. I got it figured out, God. This is what's going to happen in my life. This is what's going to happen with my, my marriage or my kids or my career or my finances or whatever it is. We just tell God what we think, and then he laughs. And, um, but it is uh, great to be with you guys. You know, uh, it's been cool over the years seeing God work in incredible ways. You know, in the last few years, seeing both of our kids get baptized, Ashlyn and Josiah getting baptized, that's been a really amazing thing. I always say our family uh, is the most relatable family, like, ever, okay? Because, like, we have, we have literally, uh, uh, my daughter is biological, my son is adopted, uh, we are all white, my son is brown. Um, you know, we have introverts and extroverts, and I mean, I'm talking about, like, if you've ever done the personality profiles, like two of us are 99 like extroverts and two of us are like 99 introverts. Like it's crazy. Um, we have athletic and artistic. We have healthy and people that have chronic illness. We have social butterflies and people who have been bullied. We've, uh, we've had, we have people where school is easy 
and people where school is hard. Um, and uh, we, we, because of chronic illness, we've had homeschool, public school. Uh, we have one that uh, has racial challenges, being brown, and one that's never, ever experienced anything like that. And so we have one that asks for permission, you know, and we have two that actually ask for permission, and two of us ask for forgiveness. <laughs> like, that's just how we roll in, in this situation. Um, and so our family is incredibly diverse in the sense of, like, making a family like that work is kind of like making family work in the church because we're so different. And we have so, di- so many different backgrounds and so many different experiences. And so that's one of those things that I love about um, the church is because we get to do that on a scale that most people only know kind of in a microcosm of their own individual families. And that's what God intended for us to have in the church, in a place where all the experiences and the backgrounds and the cultures can be different, but there's something that binds us all together and makes it special. Um, and through our family, you know, I know Kim and I, we have grown tremendously as in our marriage has helped us grow and not in the good times, in the conflict. Um, I don't know about you, but I think parenting is the most ridiculously challenging thing I have ever done as a human. You understand what I'm saying? And let me just tell you something. Like, I, like parenting is like the great teacher of humility. If you think you know anything, just become a parent. Like, and I know we've all been that person in the store before we had kids that saw kids acting up. You know what I'm talking about? And you're like, my kids will never act like that. And then you're praying, then you have a two-year-old, and you're praying, God, just let me get out of the store. Let's let me get out of this store, please, oh God. But, you know, as family has been the context of, I think, how God has helped me grow spiritually, I kind of want to give you an idea of how I think we grow spiritually this morning. I want to talk about how we grow as disciples. I want to talk about how we grow as families. I even want to talk about how we grow as churches. And so, you know, the thing I love about Jesus is Jesus had this way of making things that seem mystical or complex, and he would make it simple. And one of the things that I love that Jesus did a lot in the New Testament, mainly because his audience were mostly farmers, is that he would use farming all the time. And a matter of fact, there is a reference to farming over 200 times in the New Testament. And, and I want you to think about this, like, not just like the par- parable of the sower or the parable of the weeds and the wheat, or like unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains but a single seed, or the Hebrew writer fam- uh, uses farming to illustrate God's blessings in Hebrews 6. Paul talks about, hey, if you want to be a good minister, you, you, you're like the hardworking farmer. Uh, Paul also talks about the, the process of conversion. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. And we see this dynamic of, of faith and conversion and transformation and all of these things taught in the most simplistic way possible. But sometimes I think sometimes we, Jesus teaches on it and we miss it. Like we totally miss what Jesus is trying to tell us. In the parable, we, we totally miss what he's trying to teach us about faith and how God grows faith in us individually, in our families, and in our churches. 
And, you know, I, I, love, I love this aspect because one of the things I think is amazing about farming is you've never seen a farmer in a hurry. I mean, the tractors don't go fast. Like nothing, nothing goes fast on a farm. Nothing. Because they understand that this is, farming is not an event, it's a process. And some of us, we, we, like, we like think of our faith as like an event. Like if I have a great quiet time, my faith will explode. Like I heard that sermon. If the preacher was just a little bit better, my faith would be awesome. If we could get this Sunday thing together, mine would be amazing. Because we think of faith like something happened to me and then I had more faith. Like we, we talk about like this is as an event, but that's not how farming works at all. Like you never see a farmer like planting seeds or scattering seed and then like <laughs> nothing's happening. Nor does this work. Grow! Grow! Like you can't yell at it. Like you know, what's really funny is some of us we yell about our faith. We we yell about our lives. But it's not it's not going to help because we've got to understand. Now, in Romans chapter 5, I'm going to read this one for you because I got lots of scriptures. In Romans chapter 5, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have, been, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of uh, the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who he has given us. You know, perseverance requires something that Jesus has in every parable that he tells. The aspect of time. The tenant farmers, he gives them a thing, then he goes away for a time, and then he comes back time. Remember the fig tree, right? He goes away, he comes back, doesn't find fruit. Like how about the, the great banquet? He sends people out with the invitations again and again, and time lapses. And when they don't come, he tells them to go out again. The 10 virgins, the talents, like the, the minas. Like if you think about, find, think about a, a parable of Jesus that requires no time where no time lapses. It's a parable of instantaneous faith or kingdom or it requires time. Now, here's what's really funny is faith in people, in families, and in churches, it requires time. It requires time. Now, we don't like that. You know, we can think of this like, I hope someone gets up on a Sunday and dresses, dresses blank. Somebody needs to talk to someone about this, this issue, because we need to deal with this. And you, it's like magically, if we said the right words, that the church or that person or our kids, they would just, they get it, right? As a parent, how does it work just telling your kids what to do? They magically change, don't they? You tell them once, then they are magically different. Like, and yet, sometimes we think that way about ourselves, our marriages, our kids, our church. This is what, come on, we just, someone's got to do a lesson on it. Guys, that's like saying, the farmer's like, hey, guys, 
All you got to do is throw out some seeds, and it magically happens. You just walk away. Don't do anything else. Just throw them up in the air. That's not how, that's not how it works. Sometimes that's how we think our faith works. How about in James where it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance, here's what's really funny. That's the time piece because we're overcoming, we're enduring. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. That's what the Bible says. It says perseverance, it means time elapsing and you not giving up and you continuing to engage and you continue to be humble and you continue to read your Bible and you continue to pray. If you continue to do that when it's hard, then you become mature. Then you become complete because, see, this is not an event. It's a process. And so when I think about building churches and helping disciples, I understand it's not a good talk for me that they need. What they need is to be inspired to push through when it's hard, to keep having quiet times and reading their Bible and praying and being vulnerable, being humble and confessing over and over again when it feels safe and when it doesn't feel safe, when it's easy and when it's hard, when my life is good and when it's horrible and I don't know how it's going to turn out. I have to persevere because when perseverance finishes its work, then I get mature. Now, what's really interesting is I don't like suffering. I don't like suffering. There is no part of, let me tell you, can I tell you something else about myself? I don't like hard times at all. Like, I want my circumstances to be good all of the time. Now, I know logically that that's dumb. Like, I know intellectually that no one's life can be perfect all the time. And yet... I still want that. There's no, there's no part of me that doesn't want a life of peace and prosperity. And the older I get, I care less about the prosperity and more about the peace. <laughs> and I'm like, just, just let people leave me alone. You know what I'm saying? Just let life be easy. I'll, I'll walk to work. It's fine. I don't even need a car. You know, like I just, I just, just let me be me. Um, but this is how God works. Now, in Hebrews 12, now we're going to turn there. Now we're going we're gonna to turn to Hebrews 12 because I think this is part of the nature of God and us that I don't think that we quite get. Now, the way that Hebrews 12 talks about this in verse 7, it says this, Hebrews 12, verse 7, Endure hardship... As discipline, God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what son is not disciplined by his father? And if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and, re and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for good for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now, you got to understand, 
the Greek word for disciplined is a little bit different than the way I thought about disciplined. So when I think about discipline, I think about spankings. That's the way I think about discipline. So when my kids were like, hey, you might get some discipline, they knew pow-pows were coming. You know what I'm saying? And when I thought about discipline, you know, I, my parents would, you know, they're from the South, so it's like, get back here. Like, I mean, they, they would go after you. And so when I read this, in my mind it says, this is what, the way I read it. If you're going through hard things, God is spanking you. You're in trouble. Now, the interesting thing is the Greek word is not that corrective. It's actually a Greek word by, uh, that's pronounced padea. And it's what a, an older person or a parent would do to train a child. So the, probably the better word that would help me understand this in a more English thing is parenting. So I want to reread this now, and everywhere it says padea, I'm going to say parenting. You guys with me here? Endure hardship as parenting. God is treating you as his sons and daughters. For what son or daughter is not parented by their father? If you are not parented and everyone undergoes parenting, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons and daughters. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who parented us and, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers parented us for a little while as they thought best, but God parents us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Now, no parenting seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So when we go through hard times, God is leaning in in love, helping us learn who he wants us to be. And, you know, I remember this parenting workshop. Um, uh, Gary and Jer uh, Karen Jacques uh, were in, they're in New Mexico now, but they were in Denver for a little while. And um, they did just such a great job engaging their kids and building faith in their kids. And they were doing this parenting workshop. And they were talking about, like, each of them had their thing that they wanted to instill in their kids. And so, you know, Gary was talking about instilling a love for the scriptures and things like that. And he said, but mine wasn't as important as Karen's, what she would teach our kids. Because no matter what would happen to our kids, she would say, this is good. Because this is how God is going to work. You broke your right hand, you're going to learn to use your left hand. You're going to be more gifted. If it, she said, no matter what happened in their life, she helped them see God in it. But what she really did was she taught her kids how to understand the discipline of God how God parents us in our challenges and our hardships. God is not absent when we're going through a hard time. He's training us. He's coming alongside us. He's helping us. You know, I'd like to say that my Christianity has been victory to victory. <laughs> but I promise you, there's been way more failures. You know, I remember losing my five closest relationships died in 15 months. My mom, my dad, my grandparents, my uncle, my first cousin, and one of my best friends in the church. Actually, six in like 18 months. But my first seven funerals as a minister were the people closest to me on earth. I went into an incredible depression. It was brutal. I remember just, just feeling like everything was hard. Like everything was hard. 
And I remember we were in this church in Kentucky, and like, I felt like that little church taught me grace. Because as a Christian, as a minister, I was not at my best, but they, they stood right behind me. They taught me grace. And so when I, when I look at that and I go, man, that's where I learned how you treat people when they're not at their best. You know, I, I think about my wife's health. You know, we moved to Cleveland, and we moved to Cleveland, and the church was in total disarray. It was very, very challenging. We didn't know anybody in the church, and we got there, and literally the first year we were in Cleveland, it was the worst year of our marriage. Literally in our first service, we were like, okay, this is going to be great. At our first service, someone came with me. This is a true story. Like, I'm a Christian. I'm not lying. But literally, a disciple came up to me, and they were like, hey, I'm so-and-so, and they were like, I just want you to know, I don't want to be your friend. And then they turned around and walked away. I was like, what is happening? What did we do? Like, this is okay. Like, it was crazy. And so that first year in Cleveland, was it was the worst year of our marriage. Let me tell you something. The second year of, of Cleveland, the second worst year of our marriage. Because it couldn't have possibly been bad, as bad as the first year. But you know what, guys? We figured out that we had to be desperate in our marriage. And so we're up in Cleveland, and we had friends from our time. And Lexi, we were really close to Jim and Paula Dykes. And they drove nine hours one way and spent a week with us and helped us in our marriage. But we had to be desperate. Yeah. Do you know how humbling it is to, to lead a church and then be like, hey, um, yeah, we, we can't be Christians at home. Could you come help us be Christians again? Please help us, pretty please. And then ask someone to drive nine hours one way to disciple you, open the scriptures and pray with you and call you back to Jesus in your marriage. We always wondered, we got to Cleveland, we were like, why are we here? Why are we here? Because, you know, if you're in a difficult time or in a difficult place, you're there because God is working there. So I'm in Cleveland, and Kim, Kim, Kim and I literally for the first year is like, we shouldn't have done this. We made a mistake. We should not be in Cleveland. Like, my, my, when we told my mother-in-law we were taking the job in Cleveland, she called it the armpit of the world. <laughs> She's like, why would you go to Cleveland? That's the armpit of the world. I'm like, I've heard the U.S., but the world? Like, the whole world. I've traveled the world. Have you seen some of the other places? Cleveland cannot be that bad. But, but when, I, when I look at that situation, we were, we, in our, we were like in the third or fourth year leading that church, and we had this, this guy come out to church. His name was Derek, and he said, hey, you know, long time ago, we were part of the church. We left the church. My wife, I'm a businessman. My wife's a doctor. She never wants to come back. She, he said, I'm trying to get her to come and, and, and hear you speak and how you build churches. And he said, because I've, I, it's, this feels different to me. So, he, so he's like, I'm trying to get her here. So she comes to church for the first time. And I, inter- hi, I'm Sunny. And she's like, hey, I'm Melissa. And she's like, I threw up on the way. I, like, I hit pull over because I was going to throw up on the way to church today. I'm like, well, it's great to have you. <laughs> And, and, like, and then we go out to dinner with them. And do you know how when someone doesn't like you, but they don't know you? And it's clear that they don't like you. And you're sitting through a dinner. It's just weird. Right? And so, and then, you know, I am very, I don't really have a filter. 
And so she made some comment at, at like dinner, and then I made a comment that what she said was completely unbiblical. And then my wife looks at me like, seriously? <laughs> but you know, what's really interesting is my wife and I were talking, and we're like, how do we love them? And she said, how do I connect? She just won't get close. And so we found out that she's actually an endocrinologist, and my wife has um, Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune disease. And so she asked Melissa, because I was getting with uh, this guy all the time. We were building a great friendship. Will you be my doctor? Mm-hmm. Now, two amazing things are going to happen here. Number one is she had no idea that this woman was probably the fifth best endocrinologist in the world at the Cleveland Clinic. And so she said, can I drive? And Melissa, she told Kim, she's like, I thought you were crazy to drive an hour to see me. Like, there's the clinic itself where all the, do- the good doctors are was like maybe 20, 30 minutes from our house. And so she starts seeing her and building this great friendship. And she found out that my wife had parathyroid disease. And parathyroid disease is not a big deal if you know you have it. But if you don't know you have it, it can be 100% fatal. You will fall asleep and you will never work out, you'll, you'll never wake up. And so generally, it's, it gets really dangerous in that 10 to 15 year area because it, you're, you're literally eroding on the inside. As a matter of fact, when they measured my wife, she had lost an inch of height because she had lost an inch of bone mass in her body. So she was at the area where at any night she could have fallen asleep and not woken up. And Melissa completely caught it all these lab tests for a decade was there, and no one saw it. And then she had the surgery and completely cured her. Wow. And then you go, why, we were in, why were we in Cleveland? Wow. But, you know, if that was the only part of the story, that would be an amazing story. Yeah. But Kim went back to her and said, you have been such a blessing. Let me be a blessing to you spiritually in your marriage. And then we were able to do marriage counseling, get them back together, get them restored to the church. And then Derek had always wanted a third child to be a son, and they had the third child, and then they let me name him. (laughs) That was cool. (laughs) But, but, But guys, but this wasn't in a good time. If you ask me, when in that third or fourth year in Cleveland, like, this is a good time for you, right? You're feeling the blessings of God. I'm like, I will punch you in the face. <laughs> Leave me alone. But you know, God, God was parenting, God was parenting our marriage. God was parenting our faith. God was parenting us in that time. You know, it, it's it's an interesting because it, this is a process. Now, I can look back on that time and go, man, God is awesome. Yeah. I didn't feel awesome in the moment because it's, it's, not, it's not an event. It's a process. And, you know, if you're somewhere, you're there because it's a part of God's plan. You know, if you have problems, if you have hardships, that is actually, and I hate to say that, it is a part of God's plan. You know, we're supposed to be ambassadors of God's love and grace and hope. You know, I love in in, uh, Acts 17 and 26, it says, God determines the times and places for people and the exact places they did. He is orchestrating things here, guys, for us, for other people, so that we can see him and know him and be close to him. 
whether we're Christians or not Christians, this aspect of God intervening is throughout the scriptures. But the other part of this is that sometimes we want to manipulate the process. You know what I'm saying? We, we want to produce for ourselves what only God can produce. You know, and I think what really convicts us? You say, oh, that preacher was good. I felt really convicted today. That preacher did nothing. In John 16, 8, it says the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin, judgment, and righteousness. That moment when Paul was preaching in Acts 2, that wasn't because he was so amazing. It was literally the ministry of the Holy Spirit. When it says they were cut to the heart, that wasn't Paul, or that wasn't Peter. That was the Holy Spirit. So when people have that aha moment, like, oh, that means, oh. Like, you know, in a study, we don't do that. We don't do that. We can create opportunities for the Holy Spirit. We, we can walk in step with the Spirit, but we can't do that. And so we try to manipulate our marriages, people in the church, our kids, because we feel like that we should be the change agents. When the truth of the matter is that we've got to be, we got to create opportunities for the Holy Spirit to work in our own lives, in our marriages, in our kids, which means prayer in your Bible, like demonstrating the love and grace and forgiveness in our relationships in our, with our spouse, with our kids, with each other in the church. That creates opportunities for the Holy Spirit to truly transform things, not manipulate things. You know, I, I think we do this in the church, but we also do this as we try to help other people become Christians. For years, guys, I either took too much of the credit when someone got baptized or too much of the blame. Like, I literally studied the Bible, and if it didn't go well, I thought, okay, if, if you know, man, if, you know, if, if Ken had been in the study or if, if Frank Kim had been in the study or if, you know, uh, if Jason had been in the study, they would have known what to say, and it would have gone well. And, and, and since the, they weren't open or they didn't want to become a disciple right now, I must have done something wrong. Yeah. And the opposite was true. If they responded great to a study, I'm like, I'm killing the studies. I'm so good at this. That's why they pay me the big bucks. You know what I'm saying? Like, like and both of those are wrong. It's just a horrible way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I should be thinking about, like, how can I create as many opportunities for the Holy Spirit to work in the life of this seeker? How can I come up with the scriptures that are most applicable to their heart, their circumstances, so that God can do it? What did Paul say? I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So, guys, we can't, we got to understand this is a process. It's not a one-time event. And we got to trust the process. We got to trust that God is at work. He's determining times and place. God has gifted us with the Holy Spirit. Remember when Jesus told his disciples, like, I'm going to go away and it's better. And you know, if you were a disciple, like, stop talking stupid, Jesus. Like, that's just ridiculous. He's like, I'm going away because then I can send you the counselors. Like, I don't, I don't need any other counseling. I just need you to be here to heal us and feed us. Like, you know what I'm saying? He's like, no, no, it's going to be so much better. No, no. He was right. Because what the Holy Spirit does with us, in us, through us, on a continual basis, is much more readily available than a physical Jesus. They can only be in one place at one time for one group of people. And so 
I think this, this is kind of the last thing I want to talk about is this aspect of you reap what you sow, Galatians 6. But then even in 2 Corinthians 9, it's talking about physical giving, but he says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And this aspect of sowing seed, it helped me, and it specifically helped me in my parenting. So I'm going to talk to the parents just for a second. And uh, I share this all the time because I think for the first 10 years that my kids were alive, and my daughter until she was about 10 years old, I felt like a really terrible parent. Like I, I would hear people say that they did family devos and like their kids were like, they seemed to be like normal. Like, like they seemed to like get it. And I didn't necessarily feel like my kids were getting it spiritually always. As a matter of fact, I would try to have family devos and my kids were, you know, like uh, maybe the kindergarten, second grade. And I'd try to have these like these 10 minute devotionals with my kids. And what would happen is they would not act right, then I would get frustrated and yell at my kids, and then my wife would be like. (laughs) And you know, after a few years of this, I came to the conclusion that no one becomes more like Jesus through family devotionals. (laughs) Like maybe it works for the really spiritual people, but we are just not those people. But what, but what I had to learn is I, I, I still thought of a big, like I'm trying to plant a big seed. Like I'm, try, I'm trying to have this event. I'm trying to manipulate this situation. And what I learned is when a farmer plants lots of seeds, he doesn't know which seeds are going to actually grow. And so these are small and insignificant things. And it was more important for me to take just a couple of minutes in the morning to make sure we pray together every day. Or just to share a quick scripture or an encourage. Like it, was, it was all these little things that I didn't think meant anything that actually started making a huge impact when I started seeing these things as sowing generously. Yeah. Lots of small things. You want to have a great marriage? Don't do. As guys, I always thought it was the big things. Yeah. Like when me and Kim were, 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 were married and we were in Lexington, uh, we, we both worked full time, secular jobs and then led a church full-time with no compensation. And so we were working 50 hours secularly and another 30 hours in the church. We were working 80 or 90 hours a week with two toddlers. And so I thought, I'm going to do these big gestures. So every week at her job at the Chamber of Commerce, I sent her an obnoxious, an obnoxious, like, bouquet of roses. Two, three dozens at a time, right? Every month. And I loved it because I'd go into the chamber, and, you know, as a guy, you're like, hey, guys, uh, anything happened today? Anything? Uh, was there any deliveries, any special deliveries? And I loved it. You know, all of my wife's coworkers like, you're so lucky. He's so awesome. And then I would get home, and she's like, hey, you left your bag on the, the table. And I'm like, what? Seriously? Like, are you joking with me right now? Did you not get the flowers? Literally, I should, do, I should be doing no wrong. You know, many years later in our, in our relationship, I realized that she didn't really care about flowers that much. We did this thing called marriage dynamics, and you get to rate how, how important something is, and you rate it from like $5 to a buck in the love bank. Flowers were a dollar. Giving the kids a bath was $5. I wasted thousands of dollars. Thousands. 
thousands of dollars. And all I had to do was come home from work and give the kids a bath. <laughs> like, this is ridiculous. You know what made it worse? Is that many years later, they were out at Rose's. So I got her tulips. And I took her tulips. And I was like, hey, baby, I didn't have flowers. She goes, oh, tulips, my favorite. <laughs> For real? You couldn't throw a brother a clue, a hint, a note? Left, made tulips your screensaver something? Goodness gracious. Thousands of dollars and the wrong flowers. But you know what I figured out in my marriage and with my kids? It's not the big things. It's gratitude every day. It's praying together every day. It's, it's helping each other have faith and look at Jesus every day. These are the things when you sow generously, you reap generously. But if your Christianity comes once a week at Sunday or twice a week or a family devo or in your marriage, if it, it's, it's contained to date night, you're going to have problems. Because growth in your marriage and the faith of your kids and the church, it doesn't depend on these one-time events. It depends on us sowing generously, whether it's hospitality or prayer or service or studying the Bible together or, or reading or, or whatever it is. Like we, This is what builds the church. It's what grows us as people. It's what grows our families. It's what grows our, our faith community. But today... How are you doing? Do you realize that all growth in your marriage, in your family, requires time? How faithful, you, how faithful are you during the waiting period? When I look at you and things are not going well in your life, do I see faith? When things are not going well in your family or in the church, do, do I see people of faith? They believe it's going to happen not because someone can do it, but because God will do it. You know, when you, when you think about yourself this, this morning, are you sowing generously in your marriage in your, with your kids? How about in the church? Sowing generously? Every opportunity to be gracious, to be loving, to be forgiving, to be engaging, to be together, to serve together? Or are you like, what's the minimum I need to do in this thing? You know, the last thing is, is that a big part of this, and this is the part we don't like, is I can deal with time sometimes. You know, I can get it, you know. I can get, like, I got to do all these little things. But it also both requires death. Because Jesus said in John 12, I'm going to die. And he says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains but a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And so for us, guys, you know what's going to keep us being faithful in the times of trouble? It's going to come back to that cross of Jesus. It's going to come back to, we, we all chose, if you choose to be a follower of Jesus, you're choosing to take up your cross daily and follow him. You're, you're, and so you have to lean into the hard times. You have to lean in to sowing generously. You have to lean in to the process and not try to manipulate it and not get an attitude when it doesn't go your way. And here's the thing is you'll never understand the process until the process is uh, born fruit. 
Does that make sense? So like I look back on these things, I'm like, oh. I look at Melissa and Derek Ng, and she just just got promoted. She's going to be the CEO of the Cleveland Clinic's new campus. Like, I, I mean, I look at what God had did and the people that we helped in Cleveland and all the people that helped us in Cleveland. And I go, God was at work. In Denver, our kids became disciples. We had elders in our, like, it's, God has always put us where we needed to be at just the right time. Yeah. Now, in the moment, sometimes I'm kicking and screaming. I got attitudes. <laughs> I'm frustrated. It's not fair. But you know what? I'll always look back and go, you always have to start your prayers at this point, like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I feel like Job, like, I, I'm just going to shut up now. <laughs> you know, or I'm a brute beast before you, Lord. But I hope you guys will take some time today as we get out of here to talk about this aspect of how you want to grow. Amen. And I just pray that you guys will take the time and the process and 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 re-embrace this cross-bearing mentality that will help you go through these things and grow in your faith, in your own walk with God, in your family, and in the church. Amen. Amen.